I titled the message, Don't Drift Away. Don't Drift Away. And we're going to look at these over the next two weeks, so don't panic, all right? So this week, we're going to look at the first two points. Don't drift away from the Word of God. And then the second point will be don't drift away from the one who died in your place. I will tell you the other three, and you're going to find a common theme here. Don't drift away from the one who suffered that we might be sanctified. Don't drift away from the one who defeated Satan and delivered us from the fear of death. And don't drift away from our faithful high priest. You know what? This could all be summed up in much easier terms. Don't drift away from Jesus because he is all five of these things. Amen? But we're going to look at them one at a time. So let's begin in verse 1. Don't drift away. First of all, don't drift away from the Word of God. And I know that for those of you who have been coming here a while, it seems like, why do we need to hear this? Because we know better than that. But sadly, it's an epidemic in the church today. Look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, we must give, give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Now, therefore, in the original language, is a... It's, it ties down to the previous statement. You've heard me say it many times, so you can hear it again. When you see therefore, you ask what's it there for, and it always is tying down the previous statement or the previous chapter, and basically what it's saying, in light of the principle that's just been taught, here is the application. So whenever you see that word in the Bible, therefore, in light of what you've just learned, here is the application. In light of the fact that Jesus is better than the angels, that Jesus is better than the prophets, that Jesus is better than the saints, as we saw in chapter 1, here's how we should respond. Here's how you should respond, especially these Jewish believers who are being drawn back into Judaism, being drawn back into legalistic things. And this is what he tells them. The principle that Jesus is greater, and the application is... We must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. What things have they heard? The Word of God. The Word of God delivered by Jesus Christ, and as we're going to see as we move on, and the prophets that came after Him. But again, this letter was written to them, and there, there's this struggle to want to listen to everyone else. Guys, we don't need anybody else but Jesus. You know, there's this... You know, oh man, I'm reading this new book. And again, there's nothing wrong with vitamins, by the way. And that's what, that's what Christian books are, okay? They're vitamins. Vitamins are good. Take vitamins. But you better not try to live on vitamins or you'll starve to death. This is meat and potatoes in your lap right here, amen? amen. Or for some of you, tofu and potatoes or whatever you're into, right? <laughs> but this is, this is the substance that we need to grow and to be healthy in our walk with the Lord. And everything else is an add-on. And we shouldn't be forsaking the Word of God to read what somebody else says about the Word of God. The illustration I love to use, I know some of you have heard it before, but you know it's the difference between sending someone else on vacation and you going yourself. You know, Someone else can go on vacation and come back and tell you all about Hawaii, which I really don't want to hear it if you went, okay? I'm, I'm envious, but no. I know a lot of you just went. I'm glad all you tan people, all right? But here's the point. Somebody else goes and comes back and tells you about the trip. You can learn from it, but it's nothing like going yourself. And the same is true for spending time in the presence of Almighty God yourself or just hearing it from someone else who's done it. We need to spend intimate time with the Lord. And we need to be the ones that come before Him. And we need to spend time in His Word. 
Because again, there's going to be those who try to draw us away, draw us back to an old way of life, get us to start following after something else. Now understand something. These Old Testament rituals and sacrifices, we, we go through the Old Testament on Wednesday night. I love the Old Testament. And it's still very applicable to our lives today. But Jesus did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. Which means that we are not, again, dragging lambs in here anymore. We don't have a tabernacle out back with a holy of holies and a bronze laver. And, you know, we're not doing that anymore. But at the same time, I want to encourage you that all of it points to Jesus. So here they are being, come back to Passover. Come back to the sacrifices. You hear the trumpets blowing. Don't you want to run back to those old things? But all of them pointed to Jesus. You know, Passover, as we know, they put the blood of the Lamb in the shape of a cross. Okay, that was already fulfilled in Christ. It was a foreshadowing of something to come, but it had already come at this point. The bronze altar was also a picture of the cross. You know, in a, in a tabernacle, it was right out in the open. It was made of bronze, which represents judgment. And a, a, a full-grown man could lay down on it perfectly. It had four points on it, just like the cross has four points. They would tie the animal down and sacrifice it there. It, too, was a picture of the cross. After the bronze laver, they would go, or the bronze altar, they would go to the bronze laver, which is where they would cleanse themselves from the blood. And again, for me, a picture clearly of baptism, of being cleansed, right? We've been cleansed already, but now that picture is there. When you would go into the holy place, you had the table of showbread. Well, Jesus is the bread of life. Then you have the altar of incense, and you had the golden lampstand, and Jesus is the one who intercedes on our behalf daily. And then you would go into the Holy of Holies, and inside the Holy of Holies, they had the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had three items in it. The rod of Aaron, Jesus is our great high priest. A jar of manna, again, Jesus is the bread of life. And then the Ten Commandments, Jesus came to fulfill the law, and He is the Word. And you know what? When the high priest would go in, Jesus, again, being a picture of the great... The priest being a picture of Jesus, he would go in and sprinkle the blood on this ark. Now, it's not like Noah's ark, if you didn't know. It's a, it was a little box, and it, was, you know, it had gold on the top. And, and what on top of it had two angels facing each other, and their wings touching. And when they would come in, he would sprinkle blood in the middle. And what's interesting is that's a picture of the cross when the blood was being sprinkled on the Day of Atonement, but also it was a picture of the resurrection because when Mary came early in the morning and looked into the tomb, who did she see but an angel at the foot and an angel at the head with bloody rags in the middle, the clothing that he wore. So even that was a picture of the resurrection. Now when Jesus died on the cross, the earth quaked, the world went dark, and then he tore that veil into the Holy of Holies. Almighty God reached down and tore it from top to bottom. And this was not a little curtain. It was, it was very thick. It was very heavy. It required many priests to put it up. And he reached down and tore it, which means that we can enter in to his presence anywhere, anytime through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, it's so sad that people are trying to put the veil back up. People are in there hammering the veil back up and trying to put more things between man and God yet again. Oh, well, you can't come directly to the Lord. You've got to do these other 12 things. You've got to be baptized in our church. You've got to have this thing in your first communion. And, that, and you start putting all these layers of things between man and God. And that is not biblical. And the only way you're going to know that is if you read the Bible. 
If you just count on religion, you're going to fall into the trap. And so he's saying, therefore, in the light of the fact that Jesus is better, that he is superior to the prophets, he is superior to the saints, he is superior to the laws we're going to see in future chapters. In light of all of that, take heed to his word. Not the words of men, the word of God. Listen to what he says and what he has told you. It says, now here's the warning. What if you don't heed the word of God? What if you don't listen to the word of God? What could potentially be the outcome of that? Look what it says. We must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Guys, if we do not spend time in the presence of the Lord, we will drift away. Christianity is pictured in the Bible as a marriage. We are the bride of Christ. He is the groom. What kind of marriage would you have if you talk to your spouse as much as you read your Bible? For some of you, that's an ouch. Imagine if you only talk to your spouse once every three weeks. Some of you might do that. That's not, we, we have marriage counseling at the church. Come down, it's free. We can talk to you anytime. But here's the point. The point is that we are married to our Savior. And because we are married to Him, we need to have intimate fellowship with Him, and not once a week or twice a week, but every single day. Every single day. And if we enter into that kind of fellowship with Him, we will continue to grow more in love with Him, because to know Him is to love Him. But if we don't spend time with Him, we're going to look up one day and have an estranged marriage. We're going to look up one day and have nothing in common with him anymore. We will replace our relationship with him with a relationship with something else. The same thing that happens in earthly marriages can happen in the heavenly one that we have with the Lord if we are not careful. Anybody who's married will tell you that marriage requires effort. It requires work. You you need to work at it. You can't just let it go. You need to make some conscious decisions to love and serve and lay down your life for your spouse. We need to do that for the Lord. And if we don't do that, we will look up one day and again, we will be estranged from our Savior. Now, Jesus has fulfilled it all and he is the one we need to press into. And if we do not, we will indeed drift away. The word drift away, it's interesting because Where this was written was a seaport city. And being a seaport city, they would tie up boats. And this word for drift away literally means to flow by or slip. And so it's a nautical term for what would happen when you didn't properly anchor down your boat. If you didn't properly anchor it down, you'd come out in the morning and it would be out at sea somewhere. And the same is true for us. We will drift away if we are not properly anchored down to the rock. And how are we anchored to him? By spending time with him in his word. If we don't spend time in his word, we will drift away. It's what happens again when we do not anchor ourselves to him. You know, we drift when we heed the words of men. We drift when we add to the simplicity of the gospel. And again, so many mighty movements of God, so many mighty movements of God have become memorials to what once was, and it all started out when they began to drift away from the word of God. 
I am amazed when I talk to Christians and when I talk to pastors that will look me in the face and tell me it doesn't matter if Jesus is God or not. I'm like, uh... It doesn't matter if he was resurrected or not. It's not that important. It doesn't matter if he was born of a virgin or not. It's really not that important. What in the world? I mean... Why call yourself a Christian if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ? I don't get it. But this is what happens. What happens is you start going to church and you stop teaching the Bible at church. And you start being a place that promotes political activism. And it starts becoming a social club and a religious country club. And as we stop studying the Word of God, other things become the priority. And before you know it, the Word of God isn't important anymore. And now we don't even recognize the truth from a lie. If you ever show up here and I do not, and we do not open up our Bible and teach it, you have my permission to come up here and smack me. <laughs> Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen? And it's God's Word that will transform our lives. And that's what we need to be doing, reading His Word more and more, not less and less. And He's saying here, heed what you have heard, lest you drift away. Amen. You know what? Isn't it amazing? And I find this to be true, and I don't want this to come out wrong, but... I'm going to share it with you. I have found that the people who are the most plugged in seem to have the least amount of difficulty. And what I mean by that is they go through trials, but they know who's with them in the midst of it. The enemy wants to isolate you. And if he can isolate you, he can distract you. And if he can distract you, he's going to do everything he can to destroy you. And we need to press in. And we need to be spending more time together. And we need to be having a re- accountability and relationships where we pick up the phone and we call each other and we minister to each other. You know, I believe God started to do a work in our church last Sunday morning. Amen. And I pray that if you weren't here, grab the CD. Because, you know what, I, I, was, I got so many emails and so many letters from so many of you who said, you know, that time we stopped and prayed afterward was, was amazing. And it was amazing what God did in, in the hearts of people. And so we need to do that more. Not less, lest we drift away. Lest we start just floating off and we let go of the anchor and before you know it, we have no idea where we're headed. We need to stay anchored to the rock, to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to His Word. By the way, if you do nothing, you drift. If you do nothing, you drift. Right? Any dead fish can go with the flow, right? I mean, you drop it in the water, it just goes. And here's the point. If we do nothing, we drift. I actually read this. I thought this was interesting. An ungodly farmer died and discovered in his will that he left his farm to the devil. This true story. He wrote in his will, I leave my farm to the devil. So they went to a judge and said, what in the world do we do to a farm? He left it to the devil. What do we do with the farm? He gave it to the devil. What do we do with it? So the judge took some time and he decided the best way to carry out his wishes was to allow the farm to grow weeds for the soil to erode and the house and the barn to rot. In our opinion, the best way we can leave something to the devil, the judge said, is to do nothing. Guys, we can leave our lives to the devil the same way, doing nothing and drifting with whatever currents drive us. We can't just do nothing. We need to be busy about His work. Faithful to the calling He's placed upon our lives. So He says there, Heed the things which you have heard, lest we drift away. Verse 2, For if the word spoken through the angels proves steadfast, 
and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, for if the word spoken through the angels proves steadfast. Now, some believe this is a reference to the Old Testament. Because you see places in Galatians, you see it in Deuteronomy. I'll I'll read one of them to you in Galatians 3.19. It says this, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. Many believe that God used angels to deliver the word of God to those who wrote it down, or to even deliver the word of God at Mount Sinai. Now, I have no absolute proof of that. It could also point to the fact that there are times that we see in the Old Testament, and later, when angels actually showed up. Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Angels showed up and said, uh, Lot, here's the deal. This place is going to be destroyed. You need to leave. And we know the negotiation went back and forth for a while, but eventually what happened? It was destroyed. When the angel said something, it happened. In the Old Testament, when you see the term the angel of the Lord, that is Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. So when you see the angels speak and their word come to fruition, the point he's making here is that if the word of the angels is accurate, how much more accurate, how much more should we listen to the word of the one who is better than the angels? Jesus Christ. We've heard the law being delivered by the hands of the angels potentially. We know the the words that came from the angels. If those words prove to be accurate, how much more are the words that came from our Savior accurate? Again, we see here this exhortation to hold fast to the Word of God and to know that what the Word of God says will absolutely come true. Absolutely come true. You know what? I've yet to see one thing in the Bible that was inaccurate. Ever. And I know that people are wrong all the time. Amen? I talk to people, they're just straight wrong all the time. Even when they're trying not to be wrong. Some of them are wrong on purpose. They're straight lying. And here's the point. Why in the world do we go to someone who's proven to be wrong instead of the one who's always right? And why would we go to the one who doesn't know instead of the one who does? And why would we go to the one who doesn't really care about us instead of the one who loves us so much he'd rather die than live without us? Why are we going anywhere but the Word of God for direction? The Word of God has the answers. And Jesus Christ gives us direction. People said to me, well, Pastor Dave, you really get direction for your life out of the Bible? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't you need other books? Nope. Almighty God created the universe, gave it to us. I think he knows what he's doing, amen? Amen. A little smarter than every one of us combined millions of times over. Verse 3, now look what it says. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now I want you to hear this. Please, if if you haven't been paying attention, please do right now. Understand this. How shall we escape? You know what that means? There's something we have to escape from. How should we escape if we neglect the Word of God? That means that we must escape. There's something to escape from. What is it that we must escape from? Well, we must escape from. The word there, it's interesting, where it says neglect. 
It's the same word used in Matthew of someone who disregarded an invitation to the marriage supper. You remember the story in Matthew 22 where they're invited to the marriage supper and then they just blow off the invitation and they don't go. The word neglect there is the same word. So here's this opportunity being held out to every one of us to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb, to be a part of the bride of Christ. And it's held out, it's offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. And he reaches out, he holds it out to all of us, and now it's our choice to accept or reject this free gift being offered to us. But understand something, if we do not accept that free gift, we will not escape. We will not escape righteous judgment. Now, this is not politically correct, but we've never been accused of that anyway, so that's okay. But understand this. It says there, if we neglect so great a salvation, this means that we are saved from something. We've escaped something. We've been saved from something. What is it we've been saved from? We need to be reminded of this. We have been saved from hell fire. We've been saved from eternity, separated from Almighty God, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. All the visitors are going, I didn't know why. (laughs) Guys, it's better to hear about it than to experience it. You know, Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. Because he loves us and he wants to warn us. You know, think about how much you love your kids. How much time did you spend when they were growing up warning them and keeping them from things that would harm them? And this is what the Lord does. And the word of God is very clear that guess what? We are headed to hell apart from Jesus Christ. And it's when we neglect the salvation that we choose to go there. But through his grace and by his blood and through the work of Calvary, the cross of Calvary, we have escaped it. And now we are not going there and we're heaven bound. So we've been saved from hell and saved to heaven. Guys, hell is real and it's going to go on forever. When you get a chance, go in your Bible to Luke 16. Not right now, but look at Luke 16. You have the story of Lazarus and the rich man. They both die, and Lazarus, who was a beggar, is brought into Abraham's bosom, which prior to Jesus dying on the cross is where those who were going to heaven were. And the rich man, who did not know God, was in Hades, in torment. And at one point he says, can Lazarus just come across this gulf and just dip his finger in some water and give me just a little bit of relief? And the word is given to him that Lazarus cannot come from there to you. You know why? Because what separates them is sin. Sin paid for, you're in heaven. Sin not paid for, you're in hell. These are very real truths that we need to remember. Guys, every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. You know what? We don't get, as I said last week, there's no do-overs in this life. We don't get three or four or five tries. Our life is but a vapor. We have so little time and we need to be burned enough. Well, I don't want to tell anybody about hell because they might not like me. You know what? If you love them, tell them anyway. Again, if they were on a bus driving off a cliff, wouldn't you do anything you could to stop them? Even if they thought they were going in the right direction? Guys, we got the roadmap to life. It's the word of God. And we need to steer people away from that which will destroy them and show them the one who wants to give them life and life more abundant. He's telling us here, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You know what else this is saying? This is also saying there's only one way to salvation. Look what it says. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What's your other escape route? What's plan B? 
How else are you going to escape if you neglect so great a salvation? If you do not come to Jesus Christ, broken and repentant and crying out to be saved, what is your plan to be saved? There is no other plan. There is no other way. There is no other hope. There is no other life. It's all in Him. And this, these verses here, again, are being written to these people who are flirting with going back to the old sacrificial system. And he's letting them know that will not save you. Going back and keeping all the religious rules in the world will not get you into heaven. It doesn't matter how much you go to church. It doesn't matter how religious you are. None of that will get you into heaven because you still will have an S-I-N problem. God can't have one sin in heaven or he's got earth part two. And so we can't have one sin in heaven, yet every one of us is a sinner. That means our sin must be paid for. And we can't pay for it apart from enduring hellfire for all eternity. Guys, we need to remember what we've been saved from. Praise God for His grace. We're going to heaven. And you know what? We're filled with the Spirit of the living God here and now. And so we need to trust the Word of God. And this is an exhortation. There's five of these in Hebrews. And again, like I said, on these couple of verses, Damien Cowright wrote an entire book. You can see how. Because this is so important. This is so significant. We need to pay attention to what the Word of God says. Again, the Word of God is very clear here. This is not up for debate. It's not hard to understand. Now we just have to make a choice as to what we're going to do. You know what? It's a great salvation. You know why it's a great salvation? Because it required a great Savior to pay the price for a great amount of sin. Amen? Amen. And only He could do it, and He did do it. And you know what, guys? While hell is real, so is heaven. You ever think about heaven? You know what? No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering. But the best part to me will be in the presence of Almighty God forevermore. You're going to see Jesus face to face. Have you ever thought about that? Blows me away. Guys, nothing compares. Nothing compares. And no matter how great we think heaven is, it's going to be greater than that. Can hardly wait to be in the presence of our Savior forevermore. So that he's saying here, you know, you guys are in danger of neglecting this free gift of salvation. And he's writing this very forcefully because, again, he's burdened and concerned about these precious people. Now, how do you neglect it? As I said before, you neglect it by adding to the cross of Calvary. You neglect it by rejecting the cross of Calvary. You neglect it by finding another path or finding another way when he is the only way. Now, watch what he does here. He's going to give them five reasons. He's going to tell them exactly why. The plan of salvation is the only one. Look what he says here. It says, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord. Number one, the first thing we know about the true plan of salvation, the great salvation that we have in him, is it was began, was spoken by the Lord. He is the one who gave us direction. The truth is found in the words of Jesus Christ. He is the redeemer of all mankind. He alone can get us in to heaven. And it says, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Now, who are those who heard him? The apostles. Those who literally walked with him, lived with him, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, sat down and wrote the books of the Bible. God wrote them through the hands of men, but God wrote it. If if man wrote it, it would be filled with error. But it's got no errors. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. 
So they were just tools in the hands of their master. But he's saying, by the words of Jesus Christ and the apostles, the salvation that you seek, the hope that you're looking for, the direction, the truth is in the word of God. Don't go back to the sacrificial system. Don't run back to rules and rituals and the laws of men. Instead, follow after the true and the living God. Number three, verse four, it says, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles. Now what's interesting, the third witness that we have are the signs and wonders that followed those who preached the gospel. You know what? I want to say this, because people get leery about it. You see people on TV trying to conjure this up in a phony way, and it makes everybody just, ah, right? And sometimes because we see something abused, we almost want no part of it. Well, people abuse it, so I'm just going to steer clear and get way over here and have nothing to do with it. You know what? That's wrong. You know what? I believe that God wants to, He absolutely wants to heal people in this church. Amen? He's still is in the healing business. Because as he heals, he is glorified. But because we see phony things mocked up, we go, well, I don't want to pray for that because it's going to look weird. Hey guys, let's forget about what they're doing in error and let's be obedient to what the Word of God tells us. You know, I'm amazed when I go to India. And every time I go, it happens every time. People get raised from the dead there. Every time I've gone, I've met somebody who's prayed with somebody and seen somebody raised from the dead. And I'm like... Are you sure? I mean, you know, I'm so faithless. I am so stinking faithless. I really am. You know, we pray for, you know, bloody nose, oh, cough. Oh, yeah, I could pray for you. Somebody dies. I, I have yet to go down and pray on a coffin for someone to get I haven't done it. But you know what? Maybe we should. Amen? Do you think that God's name might be glorified a little bit if, you know, you go to someone's funeral and they show up at work on Monday? Dude, I was at your funeral on Friday. Well, you know, God, God sent me back. You know, and I, I was just asleep. You know, what, what, wouldn't that be awesome? You know what? That actually happened. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, it says the graves opened up and the people got up and went into town and testified. And I, I can't believe the whole town didn't get saved. If grandma shows up 20 years after she dies and knocks on your door and tells you Jesus is risen, that ought to be enough. Amen? That should be plenty. But sadly, because we are so stuck on being on the throne of our own lives, we would rather reject the most most obvious things. Guys, creation cries out His name. All you got to do is look around. He's God. He's real. He's great. Let's trust Him. And so too, God's desire is that, look what it says, God bear witness both with signs and wonders. Signs were things that made it clear to people that emphasized divine communication of the miraculous. A sign would come and it would be evidence that God's hand was on it. But, you know, like when Elijah called fire down from the sky and the fire came down. You know, those are signs. But not only signs, but it says also miracles and wonders. Wonders, literally, it's something that makes people wonder. Whoa, how did that happen? God did it. That's how it happened. Miracles, the the word there is better rendered powers. It calls attention to the awesome power which produces the miraculous. Again, I was driving down the road with these guys driving out into this jungle area on one of my first trips to India. And I asked the pastor I was going with, so how did you get saved? He said, well, he said, you know, my, my, when I was a little boy, my mom died. And we were having a funeral for her, and in the 
religion he was following, they would burn the body. So they had her set up on this thing, and they were going to burn her. And he said everybody was weeping. And this guy walked in to where this was happening, went over and prayed for her, and she got up. And he said, and my whole family got saved. I said, I guess so. He said, yeah, all seven of my brothers are pastors. We're all serving in the ministry. And he goes, that was 25 years ago. My mom's still alive today. And I'm like, yeah, that would get people's attention, I'm thinking. That's a wonder, amen? Whoa, that's a miracle. But you know what? We become so faithless that we won't even pray for miracles. Lord, help us to pray. You know what I love about these guys? They, they believe it. Well, the Bible says so, so we just pray for it. I'm like, man, that's that childlike faith. We need a little more of that, amen? Well, we're so sophisticated now. We just know that that's not really how God operates anymore. I mean, we got to stop that. we got to stop that. Let's start praying more that God would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We don't force him by our faith, but we can respond by faith to what he wants to do. His Holy Spirit will prompt us. Those divine appointments come every single day, and we miss them when we're busy about our work instead of being sensitive to His. Instead of listening for His still, small voice. I love just that childlike faith, and I so desperately want to see it in this body. I so desperately want to see all of us believing that God can do anything. That God could turn Santa Cruz into the Bible Belt of Northern California. God can do that, right? There's no question He can do that. But you know what? We need to pray, and we also need to be ready to take action when He tells us to do something after we've prayed. Amen? We need to be willing and ready to be used by God. This author of Hebrews is saying, guys, listen up. Understand. This is the God we're talking about. A God of signs and wonders and miracles. He's an awesome God, a holy God, a perfect God. He's the only way to salvation. And then look what it says. And gifts of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week. If you're saved, God's given you gifts. And when you get saved, God desires to use you for His glory. And I believe the first thing I think of is Pentecost. Remember when the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2? And they spoke the wonderful works of God. And as they began to speak it, everybody who was there heard it in their own language. That's a wonderful work of God. And the church went from 120 people to 3,000 in one day. And they didn't have Bozo the Clown there or any other secret sensitive things. They just taught the word of God with boldness and look what happened. Then Peter went out and 5,000 more people got saved. And they didn't have a nice building or air conditioning or anything. He just taught the word of God with great boldness. And you know what? He's saying to them, he's exhorting them, here are the witnesses to the truth that you already have. Quit looking for it somewhere else. You've already got the truth. Start living in it. Start walking in it. Start being faithful to what God has already given you instead of wanting to run back to the old things. And then the last part of that verse says, according to His own will. This is an important point. Guys, it's not us forcing God to do anything. We don't force God, we obey God. Amen? He tells us, we respond. And so, don't drift away. Don't drift away from the Word of God. May we be more attentive to the Word of God and less attentive to the words of men. Let's 
Let's be serious about what the Bible says. Let's not, they're not the 10 suggestions, amen? It's not just, you know, got 66 books of ideas. It's the Word of God. And we're to walk in holiness and we're to take it serious. Second point, don't drift away from the one who died in your place, who left heaven, took on humanity so that you could have eternal life. Look at verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, for he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. The first thing he says is, he's letting them know, because again, there's still this struggle and debate about angels. And again, in the world today, there are people that are all caught up in angels. Angels are simply messengers that God uses. So we don't glorify angels, we glorify God. The Bible does say we entertain angels unaware. We'll find out when we get to heaven if we've done that or when we've done that. We don't know because we're unaware, right? But it does happen. And you know what? They're tools in the hands of the master. But we don't worship them. We worship the master. We worship our Savior. And he says in this verse, you know what? The world's not going to be subject to the angels. The angels are not going to be charged. The world to come there, my personal belief, is he's talking about the millennial kingdom. When the millennial kingdom comes, we're going to rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years, and we will be reigning with Him, not the angels. And so it's important to understand that Jesus is on the throne. He is in charge, not the angels. And again, He's exhorting those who are tempted to turn to angels, or in today's, to turn to saints, or to pray to Mary. We don't need... You know, if anybody could be grieved in heaven, it would be Mary. Stop praying to me! is what she would say. Amen? Don't pray to me. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Amen? Don't pray to me. We shouldn't pray to saints. We we pray to Christ, through Christ, to the Father. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son. So in the world to come, it's not going to be the angels who are in charge. Now, let me say this. There was one angel who tried to be in charge. How'd that work out? His name's Lucifer also known as the devil, and he got thrown out of heaven, right? And so it's amazing how people want to go after angels and follow after angels and seek after angels and silhouettes in a window when we can know the true and living God. And he's saying, look, they're not going to rule. Now, at the same time, look what it says. He's going to quote the next three verses. He quotes Psalm 8. And I love the heart of David here as the Holy Spirit inspires him. Look what it says. But one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. Wait a minute, I thought, we were, I thought the angels were going to serve. I thought we were going to rule with them. We'll talk about that. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his Now, who's he speaking about here? Man. If you go to Psalm 8, I encourage you to read it. And it says there in verse 3 and 4, which which comes right before these verses, it says, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? David's looking up at creation and he's going, Whoa, God, you're awesome. And you just spoke and you just took your hands and made all of this. Who am I, puny man on this one little planet, that you are mindful of me? Who am I compared to you, God? And that's the heart 
that David has. He's blown away in the light of God's greatness that God had given man dominion. Because what it says there, you have made him lonely, you have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. You know what? That is what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? In the garden, man was, had authority over this planet. Man had dominion over the planet. And then man chose to sin. And because man sinned, man was separated from God. And now God has to, had to come to restore man back to that position again. You know what? Our sin has separated us from God. And because of our sin, we no longer rule on the earth the way that Adam was intended to. All creation was subject to man. It was all put under his feet, yet no longer has dominion because of the fall. He crowned him with glory and honor. He put him in a place of authority and blessing. But sadly, this is what happens with us when we try to go it alone. We start listening to the temptation of the enemy. We take the very thing God has given us and blessed us with, and we blow it. And that's why we need our Savior. It says at the end of verse 8, For in him, in that, he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that was not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. Why? They're no longer under him. You know why? Because man blew it. Now here's verse 9, and we're going to end with this. I love this. If you underline stuff in your Bibles, underline the first four verses of verse 9. But we see Jesus. Amen. We look at man, he's blown it. Man is supposed to be in charge, he blew it. He's not in charge anymore, but we see Jesus. Guys, that's who we need to be looking for. Not looking for man, not looking for the wisdom of men, not looking for religion, not looking for anything else, but for the Lord himself. We need to be looking for him because he is the answer to man's dilemma. Man blew it, Jesus had to come. Now look what it says about Jesus. Who was made a little lower than the angels. Now what does that mean? Jesus was less than the angels? That's not what it says. He was made lower than the angels. In what way? He took on humanity. He left... Guys, can I just say this? Please pay attention. He left heaven to come here. He left heaven to come here. In heaven, he was worshipped. The angels were around the throne. They were praising and magnifying and lifting up his name. And he came here and took on humanity and new hunger and new temptation and was mocked by a world that was lost and dying. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was scourged. He did it all. He knew it was coming and he did it out of love for you. Next time you see or think about Jesus on the cross, remember what he left to go there. Remember that he was in heaven forever before that. When, was he, when did he start being in heaven? He was always there. When was he there? He was always there. Give you a headache, right? 500 billion years ago, he was there. Okay? He'd always been there. And he left there to come here so that you and I might have eternal life. That's our God. Amen? He came here. He, and, and he came here knowing he would be mocked. He came here knowing he would not be appreciated. He came here knowing what was going to be before him. And you know what? He came here and became 100% man. He's 100% God and 100% man all at the same time. Well, I don't get it. That's okay. I'm glad that we serve a God we can't fully get. Amen? 
He is greater than us. He's smarter than us. We don't get it. And praise God, we don't. But here's the point. He came here because he loves you. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. He called you friend when he knew every wicked, vile thing you were ever going to do long before you did it. And he still calls you friend. What a great God we serve. Amen. And he came as a man to die to provide the perfect sacrifice. Here's what you need to understand. He had to come as a man so he could die, but he had to come as God so he could pay the price. Do you understand that? He had to come as a man so he could die. If he came as only God, he couldn't die. So he had to take on humanity. But if he came only as a man, he couldn't pay the price because he wouldn't be perfect. So he had to come fully as man and fully as God so he could both be just and justifier all at the same time. That's why anybody else claiming to die for you can't because they're not just. So they can't be the justifier. Amen? Buddha can't die for you. Muhammad can't die for you. Anybody else claiming to be the Lord cannot die for you because they are sinners in need of a Savior themselves. He came as 100% God, took on 100% humanity, put himself lower than the angels. Not less than, but he allowed himself to take on humanity, which the angels have never done, to understand temptation. But that's why the Bible says, he has been and always like us tempted and yet without sin, which means he can relate to you. When you pray and say, Lord, I'm going through temptation, he says, I know what that's like. I've been there. I've been 100% man. I took on humanity. And do you know that when we get to heaven, he will remain 100%. That takes on a humanity in that body forevermore. Now it's going to be glorified, but we'll see the nail prints in his hands for all eternity. Which will be a constant reminder of what he did for us. Guys, this is so important that he is indeed both just and justifier. Guys, it's not a workspace salvation. It's not Jewish feasts and rituals, but looking unto Jesus, the one who died in our place. And then it says there, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. You know what? He was crowned with thorns that he might be crowned with glory. Without the thorns, there would have been no glory. There would have been no opportunity for us to be saved. If he did not endure what he endured, you and I could not have been saved. He came to an earth filled with sickness and death and wickedness where man would mock him, curse him, pour out the wrath upon him, and he did all of it in our place because he loves us. It says this in Philippians 2. We're almost done. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now listen, he's God. He left heaven. He took on humanity. He suffered for, in your, for you. And we struggle laying down our lives for him. We struggle that it's going to cost us something to serve him. Yet he took on humanity out of love for you. He's our example, guys. Not what other Christians are willing to do. Well, I'm better than most Christians. You know what? That's irrelevant. We don't grade ourselves on the curve. We're graded at the cross. Amen? It's not how we do compared to other men. It's how are we doing with Jesus Christ. And he alone is our example. He was willing to be crowned with thorns on earth 
that you and I may be crowned in glory one day. People are being drawn away by Judaism. They're being drawn away by works. But they better think about how Jesus is seen in heaven and what heaven thinks of him. He died for everyone. He's the only adequate sacrifice. You know what? When Jesus walked up, what did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Guys, we need to stop being religious and start having a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? So, don't drift away from the Word of God. And don't drift away from the one who died in your place, because the end of that verse says that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for, what is that word? Everyone. His desire is that none should perish, no, not one. I know we have Calvinist friends in here, and I love you guys. But it says here he died for everyone. Amen? Amen. What part of everyone are we struggling with? That means he died for everyone. Amen? Amen? The Bible says it. That means he died for everyone. His desire is that none should perish. His burden is to see everyone come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. His atonement was not limited. It was offered universally. And every man has the opportunity to accept or reject what he's done on the cross. Amen? And that's a message that we need to be spreading with great boldness and doing it in love. Amen? Everyone needs to know Jesus died for you. He died for you because he loves you. And you can have life. And you can have a more abundant life starting even right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. We thank you for the incredible grace that you've poured out upon us. We thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you, Lord, that it's your desire that none should perish, no, not one. That you reach out to everyone. And we thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. And Lord, we just pray that we would not drift away. Father, that we would not just be happy with the status quo. But Lord, give us a greater passion and a fire in our hearts to serve you. Lord, I pray for divine appointments and opportunities to use the gifts you've given us. Stir up the gifts within us, Lord. Father, we so desperately want to see Santa Cruz transformed. But Lord, we know that can't happen unless your Holy Spirit moves in a mighty and a powerful way. And so, Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, come. Fall upon each one of us. Fill us to overflowing. May we be tools in the hands of our Master. And, Lord, may we be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We love you. We praise you. We cannot wait to be around your throne forevermore. But may we get a taste of it even now as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.